Where is hope leading you? Whenever I think about being led, I think back to my 4-H steer. No matter what I did, I couldn't lead him. It led me. Wherever that 1,200-pound hamburger with legs wanted to go, I followed. I couldn't turn him. I couldn't direct him. I just held on and dragged alongside because he had all the momentum. So I think that hope can work like that. Craig Rochelle, he teaches us that your life goes in the direction of your strongest desires. So to paraphrase that, we could say the heart, our heart, is led by our strongest hope. So where is hope leading you? You probably don't spend a, lot of, a whole lot of time thinking about that. You know, we think about the future and then we hope that it turns out. You know, we might even think about our lives after we die and hope that turns out. You know, on the billboard on the way to Breckenridge, it keeps reminding us to think about it. You know, what happens uh, when you die? Short answer, we hope we're going to heaven, right? So the question is, is that hope sufficient to lead your heart? The prophets of the Old Testament, they were led by the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says, to describe the hope that is ahead for us and for God's people. But even they weren't sure. You know, they didn't know what all that meant. They didn't live long enough to see all of that fulfilled. The Bible says that even angels didn't know what was going to happen. But we do. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? We know. You know, last week we left off with Peter reminding believers that they were receiving the outcome of their faith, and that was the salvation of their souls. So it was hope that was leading them there. So where is hope leading you today? Hope is a crucial part, really, of who we are just as human beings. The Apostle Peter, he speaks about, or Paul, he speaks about, you know, those three big components of our walk with Jesus. Their faith, hope, and love. Pray.com uses a common definition that we might use for hope, writing, In the Bible, hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised. Its strength is in His faithfulness. I like that phrase, that confident expectation. I think that we can zero in right there. Hope says that we are sure that it's going to happen. There's no doubt you expect it will happen. So I think hope often is confused with wishing. Uh, I hope we just experienced our last snow of the season. <laughs> you know, that's not rooted in a biblical hope because I'm actually pretty sure that it's not the case. However, you know, that's a wish, right? So what distinguishes biblical hope from a simple wish? Well, it's actually the level of confidence in the outcome. It's this certainty that we have. And that confidence for a Jesus follower is in God's faithfulness to keep the promises that he's made. Romans 8, 24 and 5 talks about the hope of the resurrection that is, in, that is coming. It says, uh, we were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Say confidently. So hope is all about this confidence in the outcome. So Christian hope helps us to see the bright 
future that we're actually waiting for and to be confident then that it is actually going to happen. And why is that so important for us today? Well, hope is, is actually part of being human, right? It's part of just who we're made up of. When we have hope, we strive ahead, no matter what the circumstances. We can envision you know, a, a bright future. We can view our current troubles in light of you know, some outcome that's far greater, far better. As we begin a new year, hope has the power to help us envision that bright future and change our whole outlook on the life that we have now. In 2024, let hope guide your future. And now we're talking about a biblical hope. So where are we going? In his first letter, the Apostle Peter was concerned for the churches. It seems to be a common theme in a lot of the letters in the, uh, in the Bible. You know, there's trouble all around. Things were getting difficult in the world for Jesus' followers at the time. Persecution was on the rise. Some people were struggling. Some were losing focus and direction. They were getting distracted. Some were dying for their faith. And Peter was concerned that they might lose hope. So losing hope has all kinds of consequences. It's serious business when we think about it. You and I can't go long without hope. If we lose it, it seems like faith isn't far behind. So hope is crucially important for a follower of Jesus. So I'm finding more and more that hope, even for me, is a big deal. It was for Peter too. So Peter reminded the believers that they had a living hope that was secure no matter what. So if you're hanging on to faith today... You feel like you're not really sure where you're heading, not sure of the outcome, then embrace the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And it will lead you to everything that you have been promised. So let's start in verse 10 and see what those promises are. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, concerning this salvation... The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Sometimes in life we get bits and pieces. We don't always get the whole picture. We don't seem to understand sometimes how that all fits together. You know, and that was what was happening with the prophets in the Old Testament. They were writing about things that were coming. The Holy Spirit, whom Peter calls the Spirit of Christ, was giving them revelations about the things that were to come, but they weren't complete. They didn't know when. They kind of knew what. They told of a Messiah who would come, who would redeem them, who would suffer, and then would receive glory, but it hadn't happened. And then in our time, in these end times, it did. It already did. So imagine living before Jesus. Imagine uh, waiting for all those prophecies to happen, thinking about what it all meant and trying to piece it all together with all the current circumstances that were taking place in that day. But we don't have to wait for all that anymore. We actually have the Gospels shared with us by the same Holy Spirit who informed those prophets so long ago. And it's clear now where our hope is focused. Our hope is actually in the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. That's why we call her 
That's why we call ourselves Jesus followers. He came as the promised Messiah. He was chosen as the one prophesied so long ago. He suffered, as the scripture says. He died as the prophet spoke. And even though it was written about him, it actually was not the expectation that was envisioned by God's people at that time. But God understood all that. And God understands that that same pattern that Jesus followed as the Messiah is actually the pattern that we follow as his followers today. Sometimes we face suffering and sometimes we face those trials like Jesus and we will also, good news, be raised to glory with him. So our confident expectation, what we are sure is going to happen ultimately is rooted in that end, resurrection from the dead, just like Jesus. So in verse 12, Peter writes, It was revealed to them, now he's talking about the prophets again, that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Guess what? The very things that angels long to hear, we get to hear. Have you heard the good news? It's hope for the world. But can hope really lead us into a bright future? Peter seems to think so. He writes in verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before creation of the world, but uh, before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake, for you. Turn to somebody beside you and say, for you. All this was revealed for you, for this time. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in who? God. In God. Your faith and hope are rooted in God. So when we talk about a biblical hope, it's rooted in God. Maybe you, this is the first time you've heard all of this. Maybe you're joining us online and you realize, hey, it's true. Jesus is that promised Messiah that the scriptures spoke about. He was actually born in Bethlehem, fulfilling the revelations of the prophets of old. He was perfect. He was the sinless lamb. He died a sacrificial death for you and I and for the sins of the whole world. And God raised him from the death and exalted him into glory. And now by faith in Jesus... You and I have this new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which is what we have as well, a resurrection when he returns. So that is the good news. Do you believe it? Absolutely. That is the good news. Do you believe it? <laughs> yes. Are you sure? Yes. Are you confident? Absolutely. No matter what, our hope is certain, it's settled, it's secure. Therefore, as a follower of Jesus, what is God's plan for you in 2024? Well, God's plan is that you be led in a hope-fueled life, hope-fueled living. So let's recap a little bit of last week. We, we looked at two helpful perspectives for 24 that come from this first letter of Peter. I called these New Year's attitudes. So it was approaches to life. Um, 
that will, will, will give us uh, how to live in this coming year. So these attitudes are hope is living and trials have purpose. So hope is living. So it's much bigger than our circumstances. It's not dependent on our plans working out perfectly because you and I know they don't. Because the plan is from God who has, has done all we need in Christ. And the second helpful perspective is that trials have purpose. So whatever trials are coming your way this coming year, the best attitude for overcoming them is to see them as opportunities uh, to prove that your faith is genuine, that your faith is real. And so whether this year is great for you, whether it is difficult, or whether it's somewhere in between, you can know that this life that we are living this year is worthwhile because no matter what, the outcome is a resurrection. So all things bring us back to Jesus and then that call that he has on our lives. So how will we live a hope-filled life in 2024? Here it is. Jesus said, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect. Oh. (laughs) You know, it's the same thing Peter wrote in verse 15. He said, but just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all that you do. Be holy, be perfect. That may not be what you expected. That may not be where you thought this was leading. So let's take a pause and ask, how did we get here? You ever heard of reverse engineering? You know, the idea that you take a finished product, take it apart, figure out how it all was put together and, and redesign it. Well, I reverse engineered uh, my old snowblower and (laughs) got it all apart five years ago, still waiting to be re-engineered if anybody's looking for a job. But but this idea, what if we just kind of reverse engineer this idea of hope? So we start with where we want to be. Uh, you know, with that idea of that living hope. Ultimately, it is this resurrection being present with Christ in all eternity. You know, all the promises of God being fulfilled. That's where we we end. So let's let's start there and, and look backwards and see how hope leads us. So the outcome is embracing this life that hope is calling us to. So Peter starts with this end times hope. He says in verse 13, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So the object of hope is set, right? It's a finished deal. It's the, this future event, very specific, very real. It's what's talked about. We talked about last time in our inheritance. It can't perish or spoil or fade. Uh, Jesus uh, talks about you know, this place that he is preparing for all believers. He will come back and get us and take us to be there. It's this big and vast and incredible reality that we are all waiting for. Uh, the moment he returns, we're going to receive this. We are confident in that expectation. That's a done deal. That's our hope. So if your heart has, uh, if your heart is led by uh, your strongest desire, then this is what hope envisions for a follower of Jesus. This is our strongest hope out there. So where is your hope leading? We want to be able to look beyond the things that we experience now so we can be totally fixed on uh, this outcome. Peter says, set your hope, in in other words, fix it, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. 
So that sounds like we could get so caught up in the future that we are no good today. But he prefaces it with these words. He says, with minds that are alert and fully sober. And what he's getting at here is we can't just dream about this. One day, in the by and by, we are actually conditioned by hope now to be aware of our actions and behaviors because those should be reflecting what's ahead. So when our hope is real, we actually see that our life is lining up with what that end is going to be. Confidence assurance suggests that we are all in on what's coming. There should be 100% getting ready for what's coming. We should be 100% reflecting in our lives what's coming, including guarding against being distracted or losing focus. So hope leads us in how we live. For example, I had confident expectation that it would snow this year, just like I do that it won't snow anymore. So I moved the snowblower out of the shed, right? put it into the garage, got it ready so it was accessible. When the snow came, I could blow the driveway. That happened a couple months ago. But I was waiting. I was expecting because it's Minnesota. And what happens in Minnesota? Snow. Snow. So hope leads us in how we live. Uh, So yesterday it snowed, and I was ready. I could take that out of the garage, and uh, hope led me. I realize that I'm probably exaggerating this a little bit because it's not my hopeful expectation. It's rather, uh, snowed. But Peter describes what motivates us in verse 14. He says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. So he's saying we are children of God. We belong to a family. And therefore, we live in obedience to those family relationships. Now, let me talk about obedience for a moment, because I think obedience gets kind of a negative connotation these days. It seems like uh, somehow we're, we're, we think like obedience is somehow diminishing us, or obedience is against our free will, but a biblical understanding of obedience is actually the goal of free will, that we are free to obey. So obedience is this choice to live a God-honoring life. And biblical, biblical obedience is empowered by the Holy Spirit at work in us. So it's his work that is the fruit of obedience. We're not on our own. Scholar Peter David, he writes this. He says, The gospel is an imperative to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and commit and a commitment or faith that does not result in concrete obedience is misunderstanding of the message and less than Christian faith. Obedient children, then, could be another name for genuine believers. So believing and obedience, they, they just they go hand in hand. They're, they're one and the same. So what does obedience look like? Well, Peter said it looks like turning away from the things <clears throat> that don't honor God. So if you're doing something that you know isn't right, stop doing it. The apostle writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world. You know, he's talking about desires. And all desires aren't bad. Sometimes we think that, you know, we have to not desire anything. But that's not true. You know, we need things in life. We want good things. That doesn't necessarily make it evil. Desire for things can be a blessing. But we don't want those things to become the goal of our life. Desire for things... 
um, if they become the goal, then they become what the Bible calls an idol. They begin to replace God. So the things and desires need to be transformed into a means to serve God's purpose in your life. So it's not just about avoiding things. It's easier to look at it this way, as being called to something, being called into a life. So what do we conform to? Paul describes it in Romans 12. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So be transformed by your hope in God's best future for you. And that is what it means to be holy. In 1 Peter 1.15, he writes, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. So who's holy? God. God is holy. And this all plays into what it means for us. In Isaiah 6.3, the prophet Isaiah, he saw the Lord at the doorpost in the temple in this vision and this is what he saw. All these creatures, they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. We just got a little taste of that in worship today, didn't we? You know, calling out on the Lord and his holiness. God is holy. And it is a relationship with God where God makes us holy. Isaiah continued, Woe, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim, one of the creatures, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. In other words, what's happening here? Well, a holy God is present. Isaiah recognizes his sin, and in that process, God makes him holy. The Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament, there's this understanding that a, a holy God lives amongst his people, so the people must be holy because God doesn't dwell where things aren't holy. So that carries forward into the New Testament. Our calling is to God, right? Uh, we're, we're called to a relationship with the holy God, and it's a calling into a way of holiness, this being set apart from the world. And the New Testament says in Ephesians 1, 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be what? holy and blameless in his sight. So God is holy, and that means he is a God of justice as well. Uh, you know, God calls us to this idea of holiness and justice, which is simply our relationships with one another in the world, and it's reflected in how we treat one another. And that matters for a Jesus follower. J John ends this chapter in one saying, kind of like, so now in light of all of this, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Remember those big three? Faith, hope, and love. Faith in Jesus Christ, it gives us this certain hope, a confident expectation and a bright future. And that future is anchored in the resurrection. And then hope leads us into our calling, which is a life that reflects God's character, a life of holiness. That's our calling. And holiness, then, is ultimately reflected in how we treat each other. Peter says, in light of all this, now, here's the bottom line, hope leads us to love one another deeply. And that kind of hope takes time. That kind of hope 
takes effort and energy and it places us sometimes in spots and places that we don't really want to go. We live in a time when anti-Semitism is rising. Racism remains an issue. And the other, other person, is an easy scapegoat for when we feel like our hope is being diminished. And this isn't the only place where Jesus' followers are called to walk, but it is one area today that requires our holiness. So Rainier Harris, he shares this experience in New York Times in uh, 2020. The title of this is, This is the casual racism that I face at my elite high school. I'm just going to begin to share this. What happened when a high school student used the N-word? It usually leads to expulsion, but it doesn't have to. High school senior Rainier Harris tells of his experience as a black student at an academically rigorous parochial high school. Harris said, I felt immense pride entering the school, but also great pressure. I am no stranger to racist behavior. In middle school, I was targeted with it, as well as enduring classmates casually using the N-word. Any hope that this would be avoided in my new school was quickly proved wrong. Within the first two weeks, a photo of me was shared around school by a white classmate. The caption referred to me as a monkey. At the end of my sophomore year, the school expelled a white student who used the N-word with another white student. Now let me stop for a moment. I'm emphasizing a few words. White, black. You might feel a little resistance to the story at this point. I understand that you know, resistance comes, you know, we might ask the question, is it really that bad? I mean, white students, talking to white students, would that really result in expulsion? Well, let me encourage you to put yourself in the place of the other, which is really the question here. Consider what living a holy life in relationships with the other looks like in our current climate. Kind of remove some of our, uh, what, we, what we have experienced. So we'll go on. But when one of Rainier's friends used the N-word in front of him on several occasions, the school took a different approach, restorative justice. This involves a collaboration between victim and offender. Now let me stop again. Those are trigger words, aren't they? Victim, offender. We uh, probably experience a little more resistance there. Uh, victim speaks of something. Offender speaks of another. Uh, let me invite us beyond semantics and think again in terms of holiness, in terms of relationships, in terms of what this means beyond what we are just talking about right here. So this process, he writes, is uncomfortable and tedious for everyone involved, but it leads to a transformative result. Now, that reminds me, back to the Romans 12 scripture, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to uh, approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So what is the goal here in all of this? What is the outcome? Well, we look towards the resurrection. We look towards that day when we all live together as, fam as the family of God uh, from every tribe and tongue and nation. And what does it mean to come into a restorative place uh, right now? We may seek different approaches, but we, we can agree on the outcome. 
He concluded, administrators facilitated real dialogue between me and my main offender. We talked at length over his thought process and even sent me a message apologizing and telling me exactly what it was he did wrong and that my frustrations were valid. My former friend said, I think it's interesting, he said former friend, so recognize this isn't complete. I'm sorry, Rainier. I didn't realize why what I said was wrong. I didn't know it was racist. I felt like, he writes, I felt like progress. It felt like progress, as if I actually made a difference in his life. So we're called to this transformative process of relationships and what it means to deeply, truly love one another. And here's why relationship matters. We are to imitate God and draw near to God. We are the image bearers of God. The scripture says, Imago Dei, all human beings. And we are called to reflect God's ways and character in our world. First John 1 John 1.6 says, If we claim to have fellowship with him, with Christ, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. And Baker, he writes, For God cannot coexist in fellowship with one who has an evil lifestyle. In John 1, 7, he says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. Jesus said, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Is that possible? Perfect means full obedience to God, not total sinlessness. Obedience. John 4, 8 says, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. When we're trying to understand how all this works out, it might be helpful to look at the message translation of this passage. Say a quiet yes to God, and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. So your calling is simple. It is to God. Are you drifting? Turn back. Are you uh, straddling? Quit playing the field. Make a choice. Decide in your mind. Are you struggling? Say yes to God and he'll be right there with you in no time. God doesn't hold a grudge. God is waiting for you. So in 2024, let hope lead you as you live into who you are as an obedient follower of Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, Scripture says you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Perfect. And Lord, in Scripture, when we talk about holiness, we are called to your perfection, seeming impossibility, except. Except that is what you are doing in us. Lord, you are calling us to obedience, to walk with you, so that you may transform our lives. And Lord, ultimately that might be reflected in how we love one another. And so Lord, as we enter into a, a season of potential strife and conflict and elections and all that is there, Lord, we want to honor you in all that we do. And Lord, we, we want to recognize that our choices and decisions have impact on the lives of others. And Lord, we have so much to offer in this world, in the uh, 
as being image bearers of who you are. But Lord, let us first do it through walking into the hope that you have given us. And Lord, let that be reflected in our relationships with one another. And so Lord, we offer ourselves to you in this season of 2024. And as we do, we say, Lord, transform us. In Jesus' name, amen.